Hey listeners, it's Nick from Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company. I want to invite you to try something new. Here at Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company, we have a bold and slow roasted coffee that is 100% organic and ethically sourced. There are no pesticides or fungicides from the plantations we import our coffee from, and it's all single source too. We have light, medium, and dark roast. Even decaf coffee as well to satisfy whatever kind of coffee you drink. We also have a variety of flavored coffees for you to try, including our hazelnut and apple pie flavored coffees, which are both big sellers. You can order our coffee at www.kevlarjoes.com. You can also follow us at Facebook, Instagram, or X for Kevlar Joe news, deals, and your daily dose of coffee-related memes. So make sure to like and follow our pages. And I'll leave you with this, listener. The world isn't a safe place right now, and it seems like it's always teetering on the edge. But don't forget, like it says in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill and cannot be hid. Let your light shine before all men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So be bold, be humble, and be Kevlar. My name is L.A. Marzulli. This is Dr. Aaron Judkins. This is Trey Smith. This is Ryan Peterson. This is Dr. Judd Burton. This is Timothy Albrino. This is Derek Gilbert, and you're listening to The Dig Bible Podcast. Glad you made it. Come along for the ride as we search for hidden truth, explore historical context, and dig into God's Word to help us understand the past, present, and future of this supernatural world. This is Steve, along with Justin and Ben. And you are listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. What is going on, all my local guys and gals and long-distance pals? We're back. And it's 2024. It feels like it's been a year since I've seen your pretty face. It, it feel, it's been a while. I would say pretty faces, but our bearded Sasquatch yeah. is out in the woods somewhere. He's got a, his son has a basketball his first basketball game tonight so can't miss that yeah but yeah this is our first uh, official recording of 2024 we've got some stuff uh, pre-recorded at the tail end of 23 that you guys will get at the head end of 24 yes some of it's already started releasing um. There's a few things lined up, but I'm excited for this project that we're about to start working on here. This will be pretty fun. Yeah. Well, before we get too deep in that, let's uh, give everybody a, a recap of what they can expect this year. A lot of new projects and new things coming their way. Well, I'm excited um, for the first documentary to come out. We we filmed it end of last year and uh, in production right now. We have a pretty amazing guy, Sean, from Home Team Visuals, who's helping us out with um, some of the, the editing and, and, um, mixing and putting it all together. He's pretty amazing at that, um, side of the game. And, uh, we have, um, more great guests coming up. We have, uh, some, you know, we have Justin's show, the Prometheus lens, which just keeps getting better and better as it goes. Um, check out the Noah's Ark stuff that he's, that recently been put out. Um, actually it'll be a little less than recently after yeah. this airs, but stuff's been great. Look at the mustard seed podcast, which actually aired today. This is January 11th. So it started today. 
Um, that's Ben's wife, my wife, and uh, Leslie. So Liz, Keisha, and Leslie, they um, are going to dive into uh, a lot of different books of the Bible, but also go through the women of the Bible and uh, put it out there for in a way that um, only a woman could. So it'll be a great, insightful uh, look into that. Also, um, look out for it's I'm calling it the dig Bible podcast corner for now. Uh, just separate things, a little more on the, I cringe when I say it, but a little more on the sermon side of things. Uh, I don't like, uh, don't think of myself as a preacher at all. I just really enjoy, um, you know, putting things that I feel God's telling me, you know, when I'm, whenever I'm reading the Bible or things of that nature, whatever he's putting on my heart at that time, I think there's things that he's telling me to talk about too. So, um, Justin, what's the plans for Prometheus this year? Uh, this year, uh, I'm actually, uh, participating in, uh, through the black with Tom and Vicky. I'm doing, uh, their show openers. Uh, they just released their first episode of the year, uh, two days ago. And, uh, I opened the show and, uh, I just call that Prometheus perspectives. It's like a three to five minute skit and it's, you know, did you knows tidbits, I air clips from, uh, the dig and from Prometheus lens and try to you know, expose people to some of our content. They reached out to me and asked me if I'd do that. Tom was like, Justin, I love those little short videos you do. Would you be willing to do something like that and open up our show in 2024? I'm like, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. I was honored. Uh, so that's just started. Got that to look forward to. Uh, looking into trying to do some live streams this year. I'm uh, looking forward to that. I got my cameras and soundboard and trying to figure all that stuff out so that's that's pretty cool and uh us we actually got invited not just go we actually got invited to our first conference didn't we Steve? we did that's pretty cool i'm excited um they hear the watchman uh in dallas coming up in april uh we'll be down there um along with a, a, a lot of great speakers, some that uh, you guys have heard right on this show, like Derek Gilbert. Uh, it'll be a pretty amazing um, experience if you guys are in that area. If you want to stop by, say hello. We'd love it. And um, it'll just be uh, those those conferences, whenever you go, you will come away feeling empowered. They do prepare you for the spiritual warfare that's around us, um, just enlighten you. And this one's um, a lot about prophecy, and the future and what's what's happening right now in our world and, and what's uh, what can we expect in the future. So I think it's I think it'll be an amazing event. Um, it'll be it'll be fun. So hope to see you guys there. Yeah. And they, they all frame this whole conference around that total eclipse that's coming. So, yes. it's, you know, it's the that first weekend. And so you get to come hang out, meet some of your favorite authors and speakers, rub some elbows with us, uh, see this really cool eclipse over Dallas. It's going to be a really good time. But uh, Mike Kerr, uh, he reached out to us, and he, you know, Mike, you know, he's the, he re he referred to himself as the, you know, the machine gun preacher. <laughs> but he he uh, cuts to the chase, man. He just messaged me and it's like, hey, bottom line, I want the dig. At the Hear the Watchman Conference, I'll get you a booth set up, uh, sell some of your shirts, and he said, and I'll give you a, a room to record in, and I'll, I'll give you access to all the speakers. What do you say? Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Mike. We, we are excited about that. That is awesome. 
Well, yeah, tell them about what this new project that we got going on that we've been so excited for for the past two or three months, and we're finally going to unveil today. Yeah, now this this is exciting. Um, we've talked about this for a bit, and this has kind of been in the works for a while. Uh, but we are going to take a deep dive into the Book of Enoch. And I don't think, you know, if, if you're in this space, you're familiar with the Book of Enoch. If you aren't, it is not biblical canon unless you're in the uh, Church of Ethiopia, the Christian Church of Ethiopia, which they still have it as part of their Bible. However, it really is one of those resources. I, th- I say look at it like a history book. You know, we, we can sit there and say, did uh, was I at the Revolutionary War? No, I was not at the Revolutionary War. But we know it happened because there's, you know, there's documentation of this, things like that. So we have to look at history books to, to learn context of the times and things that were going on at that time. And the Book of Enoch is such a great contextual document that it will only help strengthen your faith in the Bible if you understand the context and how it relates. And that's what we're going to try to do is we're going to read through the Book of Enoch and we are going to relate um, the different sections biblically to, to show the context of what's happening, what's going on, what is this speaking to? Yeah, I agree. Uh, as Dr. Michael Heiser says, you know, if it's, if it's weird, it's important. It's important. And something doesn't have to be canon to have significance on your paradigm and cultural references and belief systems. So, you know, are, is everything in the book of Enoch, you know, 100% factual or historic maybe not but that doesn't mean that you can't separate the meat from the bones and and look into these things and with some discernment and compare it to scripture yes always always go back to scripture there's absolutely no doubt about that but there is well we we've talked about a lot of these extra, extra biblical books before and maybe we'll jump into jubilees and jasher in the future uh, on the same kind of path but these books help give us context to what's going on at those times. It's, it's written and, and, and it shows it, especially the Genesis six event, right? We get what four or five verses that pretty much say, well, the earth got really bad, so bad that God had to kill everybody. But why, why isn't the whole story in there? Because everybody already knew what the whole story was because the book of Enoch was there. The, the, even, even if it wasn't the book of Enoch, it was the word of mouth that had traveled down the stories, the, the telephone game, which is sometimes where you lose some of the truth in some of these things, but the stories are there. Oral tradition is there. And what we're specifically referring to, because, you know, if you were to Google search, you know, the book of Enoch, you know, you'd pull up three. We are specifically talking about the first book of Enoch, which is often referred to as, you know, the book of the watchers. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I want to I want to bring this in and I actually I haven't told you about this yet. But surprise. The, yeah, surprise. <laughs> I found this out the other day. And, and if we've talked a lot about this, I talked a little bit about it with um, uh, Gary Wayne and, and we've talked about it with a couple other people, too. But the the. Uh, the impression of this, this, uh, these old ancient religions and, and the pantheons and stuff on our culture today, you know, we've talked about the Marvel, um, you know, universe with Thor, you know, you look at the DC universe with Diana and, and, you know, and, and you see these, these demigods and things that would be Nephilim, 
but they're non imagery and uh, Starbucks. <laughs> but did you know there's a character that debuted in 1963 named Watu, who is referred to as the Watcher? And there is a whole storyline. And you can go and look at the Marvel website about how the Watchers are an ancient race that overlook uh, the different planets of the universe and all these different things. And they took this. I mean, it's straight out of I already ordered one copy. I couldn't get the 1963 copy. It goes for three hundred dollars or so. It was like in the uh, I think it was in a Fantastic Four, like 13 or something. But the. There's one that was in uh, Captain Marvel from 1975. I got for like ten bucks the other day, so that one's coming. But it's and it's that's the first one where they actually say his name. But I just think it's cool. I guess I should say that we can see where these influences come from. I don't think it's necessarily always a good thing because we're glorifying, you know, things that would have been very evil at the time when when this was around. But you can see the impression of this on our culture, how we're slowly glorifying these things and they're starting to come to the forefront and we're seeing, I don't know, I, and we can go down a really dark rabbit hole here, but kind of some foreshadowing, I think, to some degree. But that's something for another future episode. Yeah, to add to our collection, because, I mean, you both have the, the Disney uh, <laughs> uh, Donald Duck and King Og's bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually... I don't think I showed you that one either. I have one where um, the Avengers saved Gilgamesh. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got to show you that one, too. I found that one at an antique store the other day. And I was like, that blows me away. You're seeing all these different, um, um, you know, not necessarily biblical, but from antiquity, these stories, these these um, other gods or men of renown, right, that we, that we hear about from Genesis 6. And we see that impression on our culture, but just like so many things that the devil does, he takes something that was evil at one time and twists it for good. Now, instead of it being something evil, there are saviors. And I think as we go through the book of Enoch, you're going to see how people viewed them initially as their savior, as, as a gift. And then how dark and how far that took them. And, and it's kind of scary, but, History seems to repeat itself. Oh, every time. Yeah, that was a little bit of a rabbit trail. We'll we'll, we'll shoot that rabbit. That this is where you edit in like a shotgun. Fair and enough. An explosion. I have to go out and shoot one so yeah. I can record it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do it real here. The, in the sound. Don't we, mess we don't around. We need sound effects. We make them. <laughs> but well, but uh, I guess before we get started, uh, I just wanted to touch on some history of Enoch. Uh, do you have anything you wanted to go with this? Or, no, you start. Or you go ahead. You Jump here? in. I'll throw something in if I if if, I, if it comes to me here. But uh, so I was just looking up online and just trying to get some because I know there's people out there that are totally unfamiliar with it and just it not being canon is going to throw a bunch of red flags and they're going to go looking. So I want to make your job a little easier. I'm going to preface some stuff for you right here, but. You know, scholars believe that this was written around 300 B.C. You know, that, that's their opinion of it. And that uh, there's another, like a mini book they consider inside of the first book of Enoch called the Book of Parables. And they believe that it was around 100 B.C. But as we talked about earlier, you know, whether it was 
written, you know, pre-flood, carried through on the boat, or if it's oral tradition that was later written down, you know, so you got to look at it like that. But uh, that they had found many fragments, and people thought that this book was lost to the sands of time. They thought all they had was these fragments. But then at the beginning of the 17th century, a guy named Nicholas Claude Paris, he brought back a copy from Ethiopia. And then there was this uh, Ethiopic scholar from the 17th and 18th century. His name was Hoab Ladolf. And he claimed that this was a forgery. This was not a real copy. But to this day, the only preserved copy in its entirety is the Giez. And as you mentioned earlier, it's the Ethiopic translation. And this is 800 years older than the King James and has 81 to 88 books versus our 66. But uh, the famous Scottish traveler James Bruce in 1773 returned to Europe after six years of study and copying and had three copies of this book. But our first English translation wasn't until 1821 by Richard Lawrence. Uh, the Enoch scholarship from 1890 to World War I was dominated by Robert Henry Charles, R.H. Charles, and that's the, the really famous one, and that's the one that we'll be reading from. The and, public domain. Yeah, and a lot of work has been done by this man. But uh, 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and this showed that these texts matched all these other fragments that they had on First Enoch, and it also matched with the Giez Bible's version. So this kind of shown that this text is authentic; it's been uncorrupted, passed through the through the ages. Yeah, it's it's just amazing, and I can't. I guess I can't um, stress it enough that we have to look at these things. We have to look at these historical books because it just it gives us other context to what was going on at those times, what people what, what their views were, what their uh, belief of history was to them. Josephus. Josephus jo- well, is not canon, but he has some really important nuggets. Uh, Irenaeus, uh, um, Justin Martyr. Yeah, I mean, Tertullian. we can go down the list. Uh, Tertullian, yeah. There's, we can go down the list and talk about all these um, historians of that time. And, and like Josephus was not a Christian, but Josephus wrote about Jesus. I mean, it's, it's there. We, we have so many nuggets and actually a lot of stuff comes from Josephus that we've, uh, looked at in the past. And, um, I tell you, I have the complete works and, and it, it would take, it would take a couple of days to get through. I'll tell you that. I had a really good friend give me a copy of the Josephus works. Well, there's, there's, um, there, there's more than a few. I, th- th- I tell you, that is a deep, uh, a deep dive into so many cool historical things. And, oh, yeah, and he goes into giants and stuff. But I mean, it, if you guys it, ain't looked into that, definitely look into his And it stuff. cooperates the Bible. I mean, that's what it does. So it's cool to see all these extra biblical sources give us, in, instead of you know taking something and trying to disprove the Bible, these things all back up the Bible. And, and a random nugget for you, too, if you didn't know, and this will maybe spark your interest and we'll go look into this stuff like this. We always heard of Christ being put on a cross on Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Well, if you read Josephus's work, Josephus plainly states that the head of Goliath was kept in a sanctuary on the hill in Jerusalem 
and they called it Golgotha, the place of the skull. So there's all these little tidbits and things that if you are reading these historical documents and, and things of that time, you are a well-informed reader and miss out on things that other people don't know. This And that goes back, and what, just plug it again, but the unseen realm, right? When we talk about Michael Heiser's kind of the the book that really defined him changed my life changed my life as well and it it gives you context because even reading the bible if you don't understand who it was written to what when it was written and what was going on at that time you lose so much of what's being said you lose so much so it's important context is king and we've said that a million times but and this, well, and this is this book of Enoch gives us a lot of context, especially into some of that stuff that we, like I said, the Bible glosses over some of it. And, and honestly, um, Judgment of the Nephilim by Ryan Peterson goes into great detail on the biblical side of things and shows us on that side a lot of these things. And, and you'll see as we go through how this stuff kind of. It just it piggybacks off each other. It'll only help you grow. It'll only help your understanding. It only helps that um, that context for you. But you have to always go back to Scripture. I'm not going to stress that enough. This is an extra-biblical book. It is non-canon. I'm not saying this is the, the end-all, be-all, but it is an amazing book. It is. It will help your, your faith. It'll help you understand even the Bible better. Agreed. Well, start us off, man. Chapter 1. Chapter 1. In the beginning. No, amen. The words of the blessing of Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous, who will be living in the day of tribulation when the wicked and godless are to be removed. And he took up his parable and said, Enoch, a righteous man whose eyes were opened by God, saw the vision of the Holy One in the heavens, which the angel showed me. And from them I heard everything, and from them I understood as I saw, but not for this generation, but for a remote one which is for to come. Concerning the elect, I said, and took up my parable concerning them, The Holy Great One will come forth from his dwelling, and the Eternal God will tread upon the earth, even on Mount Sinai, and he will appear from his camp, and appear in the strength of his might from the heaven of heavens, and all shall be smitten with fear, and the watchers shall quake, and great fear and trembling shall seize them until the ends of the earth. And the high mountains shall be shaken, and the high hills shall be made low, and shall melt like wax before the flame, and the earth shall be wholly rent in sunder, and all that is upon the earth shall perish, and there shall be a judgment upon all men. But with the righteous he will make peace, he will protect the elect, and mercy shall be upon them, and they shall all belong to God, and they shall all be prospered, and they shall all be blessed, and he will help them all, and the light shall appear to them, and he will make peace with them, and behold, he cometh with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to destroy the ungodly, and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness, which have ungodly committed and all of the hard things which the ungodly sinners have spoken. So right away you can tell, you know, this is a, an apocryphal writing. You know, this is about end times. So I guess let's just go through and pick apart some things uh, that we find interesting or questions we may have or theories. Uh, 
mine's right at the beginning. It mentions two distinct people. It mentions the elect and the righteous. But both of these are in good standing with the Lord. So, Steve, uh, what's your interpretation? Who is the elect and who is the righteous? Now, if we look at this from the revelation standpoint, which obviously we're talking about the end, it says plainly right there in the day of tribulation. When we see this and we talk about the elect, I believe we're looking at the 144,000, right? The ones, the 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel that had the seal of God on their forehead. The elect is God's people here on earth, right? This is the, the tribes of Israel. And when we talk about the righteous, I believe that's all of us other Gentiles that have come to believe in him, that have, have come to, to um, be saved uh, as a result of um, actually the Jews falling away. Because we can go into Romans and talk about how it says that because they rejected him, he offered the gift to the Gentiles. And then how much greater will it be when they're grafted back in? You know, it, it, it's, but it definitely calls them the elect as well. So I think that's well, pretty see, that, interesting. That, that, that's something that I'm not really set on. You know, I mean, I'm open to, you know, having, you know, my mind changed. But my thought process was always like, because everybody talks about, you know, there, there's one group. There's, there's one God's people, and I've always been of the mindset, no, there's two, because there's the old covenant, and then there's the new covenant. you got two distinct people, and just when I read it the way I think, you know, elect, I think of election. So in an election, someone is chosen. So God's chosen people would be, you know, the Israelites, and then when you get to the righteous, you know, that word in Hebrew mean, doesn't mean, you know, perfect. It means to be set apart. Well, who's set apart in this world? You know, the people that profess Jesus as Lord and try to be imagers of God and be a, be a light in the darkness. So, but, but definitely I've seen that, you know, there, there's two distinct groups of one team, I guess. And I think was say. it was it the word tamim, right? That was that was the word that was used for Noah when it yeah. was talking that he was righteous. Mm-hmm. The same word they used for uh, an appropriate sacrificial lamb, meaning mm-hmm. it was it was pure. It wasn't perfect. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't sinless, but it was it was pure. And you could go even further into pure blooded, meaning that it hadn't been corrupted. Mm-hmm. Which, when you talk about the book of Enoch, we're going to see corruption coming. Oh yeah, uh, of the bloodline, so that that could also play a role in there too. But yeah, I I do agree. I think the next cool thing that I see kind of right below this, and I mean it's it's just blatantly spelled. There's not really much to talk about, but but for a remote generation, but which is for to come, mm-hmm. right? So this is being there's not many books you can go through the Bible, and we can look at um, parts of Daniel. We can look at uh, Jude, uh, maybe first and second Peter and revelation and say, yeah, there's parts of those books that are written specifically to us. The rest of the Bible was written to certain people at certain times. You know, you have, you know, if, if you think that first Thessalonians was written to you, 
No, it was written to the church of Thessalonica. It was, that's who it was written to. There's not, that doesn't mean there's not things we can pull from it, but we have to understand that context. But there is certain things. And when we see this right here saying, uh, but not for this generation, but for a remote one, which is for to come, you know, we're seeing this is prophecy. This is talking about the future. This is potentially talking about this generation. We don't know that yet. Yeah. And even going back to our uh, study on the rapture right here, it kind of goes along with where the camp that me and you is in because it says, He blessed the elect and righteous who will be living in the day of tribulation. Mm. We're here. Yeah. And then how we talked about in that episode, how we correlated this with the flood. Well, what happened at the flood? The wicked were swept away. So it says right here, it says, who will be living in the day of tribulation when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. Because heaven comes to earth. As so in the days of Noah. Yeah. Man, we've only gotten through two paragraphs. Oh. I'm worn out already. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, so here, but he definitely, I think, showcases the, the supremacy of God, the power of God and his might. You know, it talks about the the mountains shaking, the hills well, you know, melting like wax and the watchers quaking in fear. So this is, uh, and, and also too, I don't want to paint with a broad brush. We have to remember the Watchers is a class of divine beings. Not all were bad. We had good Watchers and bad Watchers. And potentially still do. Listen yeah. to that Micah Turnbow episode and um, kind of listen to some of his take on on the, the powers. The You know, we talk about uh, Ephesians 6, right, where it says, you know, we fight not against um, flesh and blood, but against uh, evil pot. What, how does it say? Evil powers, um spirits and and uh, spiritual wickedness in high places spiritual wickedness in high places principalities authorities yeah so all these things that are not of this realm like we're we're, we're fighting a spiritual war and these watchers are are one class but in a spiritual war if there's a spiritual war there's two sides yeah you're going to have the good and the bad if it was all bad we wouldn't stand a chance and if you're on the big guys team you're not going to be quaking in fear are you that's, that's a real good point. <laughs> real good point. Um, I mean, they, they go right through. You see throughout. I mean, it's like you said, it's it's again and again to destroy the ungodly and the works of the, you know, of the ungodly and, and all the works they've committed. There's just so much um, about that judgment. And this is, I mean, it is, it's, it's like a, uh, uh, pardon my French, but a dumbed down version of Revelation. Revelation goes into such detail. You know, we're talking about all the different uh, seals and the horsemen. And this is just kind of saying, this is a, this is the overview. Mm-hmm. This is the Cliff Notes version yeah. of Revelation. So I think that's pretty interesting. Ready for chapter two? Yeah. All right. Chapter 2. Observe ye everything that takes place in the heaven, how they do not change their orbits, and the luminaries which are in the heaven, how they all rise and set in order in each in its season, and transgress not against their appointed order. 
Behold ye the earth, and give heed to the things which take place upon it from first to last, how steadfast they are, how none of the things upon the earth change, but all the works of God appear to you. Behold the summer and the winter, how the whole earth is filled with water and clouds and dew and rain lie upon it. So like with me, how I said, you know, you see the the might and raw power and supremacy of God, but then here you get a reassurance. You know, observe the heavens, how the you know everything has its course and it's the same every day in winter, fall, spring. All these things are under God's control and there's still order. So us as believers, you know, you have the elect and the righteous. Even though you see all these things. You take comfort in knowing that you're safe. It's all part of God's plan that he oversees everything. He's the, the master conductor of this orchestra, and you got a front row seat. And this, this sounds a lot to me like when we did that um, about the constellations, right? And we're looking at this is talking a lot about what Genesis talked about, what Job talked about, what Psalms talked about when it talks about that God put those in place, you know, in Job, it even says he calls him, he calls it the Pleiades and, and the belt of Orion. He talks about Orion and the Pleiades in the Bible. God's named those stars. That's, he put those in place that not, and this is where, you know, whatever your idea on aliens or anything is, this is where, and this is where um, my dad always would say, he'd say that the heavens are not up there. You know, people always thought, well, it's so big. There could be anything out there. And you know what? I, God can do whatever he wants. It's true. But truly, I believe that the heavens are so amazing, so, so huge, so spectacular to show us God's greatness and to show, look, he put this in order and look, everything goes in its order. They all rise in its season in the way that it's supposed to go. I mean, he put it there to show us. Not only that, every culture uses it as, as um, to tell time, to talk about the dates, the seasons, everything. This has been that way since the beginning of time. Yeah, and that's why he created them. When you read in the account of uh, Genesis, it says he put the stars and uh, everything in the firmament for signs and seasons for months and days and years. And that's what it starts off. It says, observe, you know, behold, look, look to these things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I always thought that that was fascinating, the whole astronomical side of, of all that. And, and how it's been corrupted. Oh, anything that is valuable is going to be corrupted. If it didn't have value, what's the, the point in, in trying to corrupt it or pervert it? But even heavenly beings are equated two stars in the biblical text even when you get to jude who specifically references this book he takes mm -hmm. a direct quote from it what does he uh call the fallen realm he compares them to wandering stars well what's a wandering star it's a star that disobeys its orbits mm -hmm. and wanders off course yeah it's it's just, I mean, I, I hope, like I said, this isn't the same maybe chronology of the Bible when it's talking about these things, but it's giving you an overall picture. You're seeing the correlations. You're seeing how this ties in, how all this does is strengthen, to me, my faith in what the Bible says, because you're seeing this from a different historical book explaining those things. I find it interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I will say this, that you can tell right here that obviously it was written after the flood because what does it say? It says, and a rain lie upon it and it never rained prior to the flood. So yep. we, we know it was written at least after that, but, um, yeah, you want to go on to chapter three? Yeah. It's just a paragraph. <laughs> well, how about I do three and four? Okay. Because they're yeah, pretty quick they're both, and they, they're yeah. kind of about the same stuff anyway. Chapter three, observe and see how in the winter all the trees seem as though they had withered and shed their leaves, except for 14 trees, which did not lose their foliage, but retain the old foliage from two to three years till the new one comes. Chapter four, and again, observe ye the days of summer, how the sun is above the earth over against it, how you seek shade and shelter by reason of the heat of the sun. And the earth also burns with growing heat, so you cannot tread on the earth or on a rock by reason of its heat. Two quick chapters. You know, and the same theme. Yes. You know, the, everything has order, you know, and God's over all of it. And it exactly. It's just showing where it's, it starts again the same way you said, uh, you know, chapter three starts observe. Mm -hmm. It's just showing you those pictures. It's a lot like Job. When you read Job that way, yeah. it's that same thing. Look what I, and when God actually replies to Job, it's a lot of that same lingo. Look, can you do this? Can you do that? Like, you know, only God can do these things. Yeah. Need I remind you who yes. I am. Exactly. Chapter five. Observe ye how the trees cover themselves with green leaves and bear fruit. Wherefore, give ye heed and know with all regard to all his works and recognize how he that liveth forever hath made them so. And all his works go on thus from year to year forever and all the tasks which they accomplish for him and their tasks change not. But according as God hath ordained, so it is done. And behold how the sea and the rivers in like manner accomplish and change not their tasks from his commandments. But ye, ye have not been steadfast, nor done the commandments of the Lord. But ye have turned away and spoken proud, hard words with your impure mouths against his greatness. O ye hard-hearted, ye shall find no peace. Therefore shall ye execrate your days, and the years of your life shall perish." And the years of your destruction shall be multiplied in eternal execration, and ye shall find no mercy. In those days ye shall make your names an eternal execration unto all the righteousness. Righteous, apologize. And by you shall all who curse, curse. And all the sinners and godless shall imprecate by you. And for you, the godless, there shall be a curse. And all the shall rejoice. And there shall be forgiveness of sins and every mercy and peace and forbearance. There shall be salvation unto them, a goodly light. And for all you sinners, there shall be no salvation. But on you all shall abide a curse. But for the elect, there shall be light and joy and peace. And they shall inherit the earth. And then there shall be bestowed upon the elect wisdom. And they shall all live and never sin again, either through ungodlessness or through pride. But they who are wise shall be humble, and they shall not again transgress, nor shall they sin all the days of their life, nor shall they die of the divine anger or wrath. But they shall complete the number of the days of their life, 
and their life shall be increased in peace, and the years of their joy shall be multiplied in eternal gladness and peace all the days of their life. So here we see once again a 30,000 foot view of Revelation. Wrath and judgment, the sweeping away of the ungodly, and the uh, re-sanctification of God's people, and a return to Eden. Yeah. And I even think of uh, you know Timothy Alvarino and his book Birthright. Because if you think about it, and also uh, David Paxton, contracts. Well, dominion was given to us. We traded the truth for a lie. We gave dominion to these watchers and their offspring. Well, God is a just God. He has to honor these contracts. So where we no longer have dominion to this place, this great reset has to happen, you know, contractually. Because the old heaven and the old earth is passed away, and now a new comes. So therefore, he's not voiding or negating on the agreement that we had with these watchers. Yeah, you guys were the, the rulers of this earth, and I allotted you portions in Deuteronomy 32, and I'm a God of my word. But that place is no more. This is a new house, and yeah. you have no claim to it. Oh, yeah. Take that, Schwab. This is the real great reset, buddy. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Chapter 6. And it came to pass, when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them. And said to one another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. And Semjaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath, and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations, not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swear altogether, and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And they were in all two hundred who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And these are their names, their leaders. Semiaza, their leader. Erekiba, Ramiel, Kokobiel, Tamiel. Ramiel, Danel, Ezekiel, Berkajel, Azel, Amaros, Betariel, Ananel, Zequael, Samspiel, Satariel, Terel, Jamjael, and Sariel. These are their chiefs of tens. Good job, buddy. <laughs> that was impressive. That's a that's a mouthful. And Did you I, drink a water? I I know that that's actually a bit uh, that's better than I anticipated. I, and I still think I got you know majority of them wrong. <laughs> um, I was trying to pronounce them in their you know original Acadian you know dialect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Dr. Judd would be proud of you. Yeah, no, he would not. He'd be <laughs> like, you just butchered that entire that entire paragraph. But see, it's better you than me because he'd be like, "How oh, you dumb hillbilly." <laughs> I I don't think it would have mattered with those names. But I think this so this chapter, this is this is really cool. So I think it's funny and I know we talked about it earlier before but you know there wasn't really chapters back then but whoever lined this up with the Bible back when you know we see the chapters we talk about Genesis 6 being when the the angels came down and and ultimately causing the need for the flood and it's chapter six in this book as well uh, I I don't think that was put there incidentally as Derek Gilbert says you're not a coincidence theorist no not even remotely um but it talks about and this there's so much to unpack in this and I think we're gonna have to go into it we'll go into it in depth here a little bit but. I know there's going to be more that we're going to bring up because if we talk about right here, it says um, it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born to them a beautiful and comely daughters. If you go into the Bible and we look at um, Lamech, uh, not the Lamech that was Noah's father, but the Lamech of Esau's line, Cain's line, sorry, not Esau, Cain, the Lamech of Cain's line. Nama. Nama. But it's really interesting, and we're going to go into this a little further on about why this is so important. But And explain that, too, because you, you know we might have some listeners that didn't hear that episode and know the significance of Nama. I think it's important that you explain that. It is extremely important. So first we're talking about Lamech, who actually introduced polygamy into the world. Um, and it says here in... Um, Genesis chapter four, uh, verse 19 it says, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And Zillah, who bore Tubal-Cain, he was the forger of all instruments of iron and bronze. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Now, when we talk about that part in chapter 6 in the book Enoch here, it says, Unto them were born beautiful and comely daughters. As we go through here, we're going to see that they trade knowledge from heaven you know, forbidden knowledge, for lack of a better word, for human wives. We see this transaction. And anytime... It doesn't specifically say that, but you can see... Well, you see the correlation. Yes, because back then, marriages were uh, alliances. You had, uh, what do you call those, where you have to buy the bride? Like the dowry. dowry. You had dowries. So you traded for strength of alliances and, and trade and wealth and, and things like that. So it's all of a sudden, I mean, if you seen these angels come down from heaven, you know, worldly speaking, there's no better alliance to have, you know, than have an alliance with them. Well, you scratch, you scratch our back, I'll scratch yours. I mean, yeah. it's the thing. And they, they come down and if we talk about, um, and you guys have maybe heard us talk about, you know, the, the original golden age, you know, they walked with these angels, these watchers. They 
saw them as gods. And then we see this a lot where, where, you know, this is where some of the corruption came where people would, um, I think a lot of some of the, the original idea of some of the pantheon stuff came from, and, and we'll get into that in the future, but there's a lot to come here, but I think it's when you when it says beautiful and comely daughters, I think it's interesting and it's always important in the Bible. They, they say something for a reason. They never mention women. They never so they mention this woman in a genealogy because she was significant. And all it says, the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. It says that Tubal Cain became the forger of all instruments, iron and bronze. We'll get to that in a little bit. I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but Nama's name actually means beautiful. Kind of an interesting correlation there. Mm-hmm. And potentially was the original first mother of the Nephilim, which as Ryan Peterson brought that up as well. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. I think multiple people have brought that up with us, but the fact that her name is, is specifically brought out and, um, Actually, we kind of see the the end of uh, the line of Cain at that point. You know, this is where we don't really hear about that anymore. I mean, obviously, then we go into the flood, so they would have all been gone at that point anyway. But just kind of interesting how that comes in, and then we'll get into some of that other stuff a little later. But you see that the angels... So first of all, this is a really interesting concept because these, these are angels in heaven, right? They're They're... They, they come down because they lust after women. So obviously angels have free will. We see that right here. Um, and, and we see it in Genesis 6 as well. So angels had free will. They come down to earth and they lusted after women. They wanted what we had. This is that big brother, little brother syndrome we've talked about a few times. Um, you know, the parable of, uh, of uh, the prodigal son, things yeah. of that nature. Um Go back and listen to our parables episode if you run a deep dive into that. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, fallen angel Nephilim in that one. Oh, yeah. But it's so cool to see. It, well, it wasn't cool for them back then. But um, the what is, now, who was that that found that stone at the top of Mount Hermon? It was that British investigator. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he was involved with uh, Jack the Ripper. He was, he was the one that was trying to find Jack the Ripper. And he found that Stella that said, uh, here, from here, who swear an oath, go from here. And we swear an oath. uh, I think it even said mutual imprecations. We take this oath and proceed from here or something along those lines. Pretty interesting. Pretty, pretty crazy. And I. On Mount Hermon. On Mount Hermon. And that could have also been something that was put there later as a, as a, um, Remembrance, a remembrance, kind of like a, a monument of some, st- you know, we don't know, but um, just pretty amazing. And there's the cool part here is Mount Hermon, and we've gone into great detail about Mount Hermon and what it means. So we talk about the um, Grotto of Pan, right? Transfiguration. Transfiguration. So many things right there, the Via Maris, right? Going up uh, at the Valley of the Shadow of Death. There's so many cool things that happen Yogal in this area. Refaim, this all is all the dolmens. This was the land of Bashan, which translates into the land of the serpent. You know, I had a conversation <laughs> with uh, with Derek on Prometheus Lens, and we just talked about that area and all the spiritual wickedness and significance of this piece of land here. It's one of the hotbeds, if not the hotbed, of the entire world. 
I mean, you think about that is straight up where, you know, Jesus was declaring war on every one of those the fallen angels, every one of the, on, on the devil, on every one of the evil spirits on this planet. He's declaring war going through that area. And, and specifically, it, it was, it is ground. Zero. It's, and you know what? It's ground zero today. Hmm. It's always ground zero. Well, I even found the chronology interesting here because here we got the 30,000 foot view. It's like a movie, you know, like a movie you see the end and it's just like, man, golly, it jumped in quick, didn't it? You know, and then all of a sudden, then it backtracks 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. So you see all this, you know, devastation and judgment and, you know, just it dives right into the action. Then all of a sudden, we go back in time in chapter six to this event. What's it trying to tell you here? This is where it began. All that judgment, all that, that, tribulation and stuff you see in revelation the writer here is trying to in my opinion trying to show you this is ground zero all that craziness you just seen here's why mm-hmm. and the, when the keys to the bottomless pit are, are given out and that's opened up i believe this is who's coming out <laughs> yeah so well we will dive into this um a little more as we go along because it gets it it goes into more about uh, a couple of these different um actually goes into a lot of these different angels and what they were watchers and what they actually uh, uh offered yeah. humanity and for those that you know are familiar with their bible we see this guy shim yaza in, in deuteronomy so you know here you have another direct correlation with scripture you know as you're checking your boxes and how it compares with biblical scripture and it, and it ties in here because if you remember Shemyaza was the hairy goat demon when they were in the wilderness of Exodus and they would cast lots and cast all the sins of the people on this goat and whichever lot fell that's the one they posted all their uh, sins and stuff on and cast it out into the wilderness and it says specifically to give that goat as an offering to Shemyaza. So we see this guy named in Scripture. It's pretty amazing. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying this so far. I think this is going to be fun. Um, and this is kind of the, we're getting into the meat of it already. Uh, but there's so much more even after we get through this part of the story that is, like I said, all it can do is help you grow. We're just getting to the juice, guys. Keep on digging. Thanks for listening to the Dig Bible Podcast, the place where you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. You gotta dig. Be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Be sure to like, comment, share, and subscribe. Keep digging.